welcome to Sunday Conversations, episode three. Um, today we're meeting with Andrew Sacker, uh, who is a writer at Brooklyn Beacon. Uh, he is one of my favorite current writers, uh, so I'm very excited to be um, having the opportunity to talk with him. Um, I really wanted to, to speak with Andrew today because I was watching a uh, show that Brooklyn Beacon does on Bench Channel 66. Uh, he was speaking specifically with Walter Trifles and Bob from Axe to Grind. And uh, a topic of influences came up, which really intrigued me. Um, it's always sort of fun to hear these types of conversations. So I reached out to Andrew uh, to be able to continue that conversation. Um, we're going to be speaking about the importance of diving into Ben's influences, um, discovering music in today's world, um, where streaming is very prominent. Um, but yeah, I uh, wanted to ask Andrew to introduce yourself and um, tell us a little bit uh, backstory of who you are, what you do, and how you got into punk and hardcore. Sure. So, like you said, Andrew Sacker, uh, writer at Broken Vegan. I've been there for 11 years this August. Um, and uh, as I, the story I told on Walter's show, I'll kind of retell it a bit. Um, basically like, you know, I grew up, I was into Blink-182, some 41, and I went to, um, the local FYE at my mall and I was looking for those CDs in the rock section and they weren't there. So I went to the clerk and I was like, Hey, like, where are your Blink-182 and some 41 CDs? And they were in a section called punk slash ska. So young me is like, Oh, I guess I listen to punk slash ska. So I just started going back to that section like every weekend and I would just buy stuff that looked cool or didn't cost a lot. I got so many label samplers because those would be like $3.99 and have 22 bands. So I, you know, I get like punkaramas and hopelessly devoted to you and fat music for fat people and that kind of stuff. Um, and it was just like, you know, it was just dive as deep as possible. Like, you know, like it's like, okay, so you love Blink-182 and then you find out like, oh, they're influenced by the descendants. And then so you listen to the descendants, you know, and like, and that kind of thing. And just, and then it's like, well, who are the descendants influenced by, you know, and you just kind of take it back. And, uh, and yeah, it's just kind of been like a lifelong journey of doing that and like always looking for more. Yeah. And kind of like expanding on that. Cause you, you had mentioned about um, like compilations and going to a CD store, um, being able to, dive back into uh, bands influences is something that I hadn't really like thought about myself. Um, but when you said it, it's so like simple and it clicked immediately with me. Cause I realized like, Oh yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> like right. whenever I, I find a new band, like I usually like find out as much information I can as possible. And like uh, recently I've been going like on Discogs to like see what members like, you know, playing other bands and I'll go listen to them and, go deeper and deeper. So yeah, I, it's a very like simple thing that we do, but I guess we don't really think about it often about like the actions that we're doing to discover this new music. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, totally. That, I mean like related members bands was always a thing too. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, I mean, ju just on that Blink-182 note, I remember like the first time I realized that was a thing was I was in, I think like a Walmart or like, which is like some department store. And like they have the boxcar racer CD and there's a sticker on the front. And it's like featuring Tom DeLonge and Travis Barker of Blink-182. And I was like, I didn't know you could be in two bands, you know, <laughs> like, so that was like, and yeah. then what well, from then, you know, from then on, it would be like, 
anytime you find out like, you know, I don't know, it'd be like, oh, like the guy from Grade is now in a band called Hey Mercedes. Like I got to hear him like that, you know, just like right. that was a big thing for sure. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned the the Blink um, situation um, or boxcar uh, racer. It's like I I was at Walmart myself uh, probably around like seven or eight years old. And like, I always like going to in any store, like the media section, I'm looking at either books or CDs and, you know, uh, DVDs or VHS, whatever that was available. Um, so I would always go there and I remember seeing uh, a simple plan CD and uh, I knew about them because I grew up in San Antonio and I was watching uh, the Spurs uh, play in the playoffs and they had uh, a snippet of like a track uh, in between like commercials when they would come back to the the basketball game and it was simple plan and like I had never heard that music before myself like I had just listened to like radio you know rock music was like well around but I felt like this was so much more of a, a youth type of music uh, and it had of course that like pop punk sound um, and so like I found it at Walmart and I was like whoa and then like on the back it had like uh, featuring um I forgot what song it is, but it has a, is it Mark from uh, Blink-182 in it? Yeah, it's, it's, I, I do anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that, that reminded me of that. Cause you mentioned Walmart and Blink-182 um, mm -hmm. and yeah, I ended up buying the CD and then uh, kind of dove down a rabbit hole since, <laughs> since then. Uh, so yeah. yeah, it's funny how we have similar experience. For sure. I had that CD too. It was, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I had the same kind of experience that you described in Simple Plan when I first heard Blink-182, uh, which was on Now 3, by the way, when What's My Age Again was on. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, whoa, like this, like I already knew I liked rock, but I was like, this is my kind of rock. Like when you right. But I had a friend, I think, I think Simple Plan's first ever tour was opening for Sugar Ray, um, which oh, is wow. kind of hilarious. <laughs> But, um, but I, uh, one of my friends, I was like in fifth grade, he went to that tour and like came back and was like, there was a really cool opening band. They're called Simple Plan. I bought their CD, listen to this. And I did. And like, I was like, this sounds so much like Blink-182. I love right. it. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah the, it's funny how like looking back at them, I, I don't see them as like a very like super popular band, even though they kind of were or are. Um, like I've Blink-182 is always like the main reference point uh, for right. everyone. Um, but somehow Simple Plan came through uh, in our youth and kind of, you know, opened the doors. Um, but uh, similar to that, um, so did Tony Hawk <laughs> and uh, Tony Hawk soundtracks. And I realized that a lot of people that, um, you know, I would listen to like a podcast, um, with other musicians and artists, uh, that's always like a reference point that comes up. And it was very interesting to me, um, cause I play Tony Hawk games as well. Um, but what's in my personal experience the they didn't stand out to me as much where I was playing it and I knew I liked the song, but I wouldn't go and like dive into that band's catalog. I just knew the songs and I would just listen to them while I'm playing. Um, I don't think it, it like clicked with me uh, until a few years later where I realized like, oh, I've been listening to the, you know, these bands all this time and I didn't even, you know, realize what this is. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I'm kind of a curious, um, 
like those initial bands that stood out to you, whether it being on a Tony Hawk game uh, or a compilation CD, um, but discovering like what punk was and then like pop punk and emo and hardcore, like, are there any uh, particular bands that stood out to you within each genre? Sure. Um, I mean, so I guess if I try to take it back, so there was, of course, like it started for me with Blink-182 and Sum 41. And then, um, I mean, Simple Plan was soon after. And uh, I, when I was in sixth grade, um, uh, we, the way my school was set up was there was like two separate elementary schools in our school district and they converged for middle school. So in like sixth grade, there were like 200 new kids that were, were not like previously in school with us. Um, and one of them I had known from summer camp, but like not super well, but I just kind of was like, oh, I kind of remember you. So um, I was sitting next to him in math class and he was like wearing like Hot Topic wristbands and stuff. And he was like, what kind of music do you listen to? And I was like, punk. And he was like, what bands? And I was like, Blink-182, Sum 41, Simple Plan. And he's like, okay, you listen to pop punk. Um, so he's like, <laughs> let me make you a mix. And um, and he made me this mix of stuff he burned from like, you know, Napster or LimeWire, like whatever it would have been at the time. And it had like Deadbolt by Thrice and two songs from Catch-22's Keys Be Nights. And it had like Flogging Molly's Drunken Lullabies. Um, it had a static lullaby on it. Um, there was just, it was all across the spectrum, like post-hardcore, screamo, emo, pop punk, ska, like all across the board. And it had an Alkaline Trio, um, which to this day is my favorite Alkaline Trio song. It's um, from Maybe I'll Catch Fire. Um, I'm just keep blanking on the name, but that's yeah. a great Alkaline Trio record. I feel like that one gets overlooked. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I just, that, like that mix kind of opened my eyes to just like all the different things under the punk umbrella. Um, and I mean, for me, real big, when I, when I kind of first found emo, the real big ones were like Thursday's full collapse, taking back Sundays, tell your friends, um, Thrice's illusion of safety. Um, uh, yeah, those were kind of like the, oh, and Jimmy world's bleed American. I would have to include in right. that. Um, which I also kind of, I knew Jimmy world because the middle was so big alongside too like <laughs> and i didn't know yeah. they were an emo band you know like only right. when i heard clarity and static prevails later on i was like now i understand why they're an emo band yeah um but i would still say bleed american would have to be one of my first emo records um yeah. and i think and honestly speaking like bands like thursday and thrice and like afi i was a huge fan of afi and i don't know where you really saw yeah. them it's like they were like not quite pop punk not quite hardcore um yeah. But they screamed. And so like mm -hmm. Thursday, Thrice, AFI were bands that screamed. Um, and that was really like my introduction to that kind of world. Like it it was not really until later in life. Um, and I guess by later in life, I mean like a late teenager that um, I really was like, I want to now explore like actual hardcore. Um so like for like if with if you would have said hardcore to me as like a preteen like 12 13 year old it would more be like probably post hardcore and emo bands that scream right um i eventually like you know got into minor threat and stuff and my big one for hardcore is um first hearing nervous breakdown by black flag that song like flipped my world upside down i was like okay like now I want to be in hardcore for the rest of my life. 
you know, <laughs> like, yeah. um, so, uh, so that would probably be like a real moment changing album for me for hardcore is that, that nervous breakdown. Yeah. Footage. Yeah. Um, that's, that's awesome. Uh, with, you mentioned, uh, minor threat and, and black flag. Those are like so much of a fundamental band within the genre. Um, and similar to what you said, I didn't discover them until years later. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not sure what that that is. I guess it does take a little bit of while to you know discover and then look back into the history. Um, but I mean, I with Minor Third particularly, like I knew of them, but I didn't like listen to like the Seven Inches and like know know the songs uh, very much until like maybe just a few years ago, where I really like dove deep into you know their discography. Um, mm-hmm. And now I love them, but yeah, it's just kind of funny to think about. <laughs> Yeah. Well, something you reminded me of when you were talking about playing Tony Hawk and like not really thinking about it, but just being like, oh, yeah, yeah. I guess you listen to punk. So like and I actually did um, a piece on this for my column on BV in defense of the genre. Um, I did a piece about like popular pop punk bands covering classic punk and hardcore songs um, because that was huge for me. Right. Like I, when I yeah. when I finally got into Black Flag and heard the Nervous Breakdown 7 inch, I was like, oh. I know Fix Me, Rise Against plays this song, you know, yeah. like, and like, um, there was that whole Tony Hawk American Wasteland soundtrack where the whole thing was like covers of classic songs. And it was like, right. um, that was really big for me, like just hearing like, like these amazing songs and then like looking into it a little more and being like, oh, so it's a cover. And then like going to hear the original and being like, oh, this is amazing. That's kind of where that thing comes yeah. in with like, following the influence. Like that, that's yeah. what bands would do, right? They would like, cover a song and they would because punk is such a kind of like you know lots of bands are similar right so like rise against can play a black flag song and not change it at all and it'll sound like a rise against song right so like it wasn't no entry barrier it was so it was like yeah this is perfect i love this like um (laughs) and then you realize like what it really is and you go listen to the original and you're like oh so like you know this came 20 years earlier and it's just as cool this is so groundbreaking yeah, definitely. That that's a good uh, game to bring up to American Wasteland uh, was like pretty big for me as well. Uh, I had played like Underground and um, and like Pro Skater um, before that. But when I got American Wasteland, I feel like I was like at a pretty decent age where I can like understand that a little bit better. Um, mm-hmm. So I think I was maybe like in fifth or sixth grade when that one came out, and I remember it was like really cool to me because that was the first one I believe that they introduced BMX where you can like get on a bike uh and be able to to ride um so I remember that was really cool and the soundtrack too I didn't even realize um until maybe a few years ago as well that the they were all like cover songs um because I was like going back and listening to all the Tony Hawk soundtracks just to like Mm -hmm. see if I remembered any of them and I saw um uh fallout boy was on there covering gorilla biscuits and i was like yeah what <laughs> like i didn't even realize like that's so crazy to think about <laughs> yeah and the uh the first time i ever heard um a gorilla biscuit song was newfound glory covered no reason why right um, do you do you know that ep they did on bridge yeah. yeah yeah the hardcore so, yeah so like i was like oh cool like they covered Shelter, Lifetime, and um, Gorilla Biscuits. And I was just yeah. like, oh, amazing. I'm going to go check out Gorilla Biscuits. And like, that's why, because of Newfound Glory, who yeah. were like a gigantic fan who were on like Nickelodeon, 
you know, yeah. like <laughs> that to me is like, I think like, I think those of us who lived through that period, like I know like a lot of Gen Xers really shit on that period. Um, <laughs> but I think what's so fascinating is like you had popular bands, like really, really big mainstream bands who were like talking about Gorilla Biscuits and the Descendants. Like it was an interesting time. I feel like it didn't really happen that way before. I mean, I guess like Nirvana was doing that too. Yeah, but, yeah. I, kind of, I feel like it started with Nirvana. Like Kurt would be like, you know, doing mainstream interviews for Rolling Stone and be like, listen to the Meat Puppets. Um, yeah. And then it was like happening in the pop punk era. And like, you know, not to sound like some old man who's like, it was better reminded, <laughs> but I feel like outside of hip hop, um, like, you know, the artist, most of, uh, other, I assume we'll talk about this eventually, the whole little pop punk revival. But before that, like if we just rewind like six months, yeah. like I feel like there's there weren't like mainstream artists like that big, like, you know, like TRL big that are like, exactly. oh, we're going to cover the Gorilla Biscuits who like a few thousand people have ever heard of. <laughs> you know? like, yeah. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, that era is definitely interesting and we'll definitely get to it. Um, but you had mentioned, um, you know, or we're just talking about like music discovery in general, but like, I'm curious to, to see, like, from a, a music writer perspective, like, how is your day to day as far as like consuming music or discovering uh, new bands? Um, like, for me personally, I know I try to do it in a much more organic way rather than relying on playlists. Um, mm -hmm which may, you know, I'm sure it's going to differ to whomever. Um, but I, if I see something popping up on my timeline or like on an Instagram story and I keep seeing like the image repeated, like, I'm like, okay, this must be good. Like I need to check it out. Uh, I'm similar. I'm curious if you have a similar experience or if you have like, you know, a different, a different way. Yeah. Super similar. Um, I, I would say like okay. one of my general rules is like, if I see, an artist or a song or an album get mentioned in three different places that I, I no longer can ignore it. You know, like it's like, yeah, it's like, um, but yeah, I'm usually, um, following bands, labels, other writers, other publications. Um, and especially like if I know I have similar taste to the person or if I like the band they're in or the label they run. Yeah. Um, I, I sometimes you know, they don't even need a second or like, if it's just, you know, like if a good band, tweets like this album is sick i'll be like cool i'm gonna check yeah. that out now because your band is sick so yeah that's been what's that's kind of been the main thing for me lately i definitely also i mean i don't really go, do like the spotify playlist thing um right. unless i'm just curious of like what rap songs are popular now like on rap caviar or something um yeah because you know like sometimes you fall behind um but um <laughs> but yeah i'm usually like and i follow a lot of labels on Bandcamp, which i think is a big one um true. yeah that's true like if like if there are some labels where it's just like only hits right like if it's hardcore like anything on like triple b and flat spot is like right i'm like it's i have I, like follow my band camp i get the notification and if i haven't heard yeah. the band yet i'm like doesn't matter i'm gonna listen right now i'm sure i'm gonna love it i'm doing a post like asap for screamo like yeah. i follow zagima beach and middleman like same thing they just don't miss um dog nights yeah. is always putting out amazing screamo and emo records um for emo i'm I'm following like acrobat unstable counterintuitive sun eater records is mm -hmm. really good um and same kind of thing like i feel like if they're putting it out and it's like it's nice right it's like to have like okay like that's not the whole story yeah. like obviously there are great bands 
who aren't on those labels or aren't on any labels, you know, and like, um, but, um, but I think that's always like a nice place to start. It's just by like following your favorite record mm-hmm. labels and then following like some smaller labels too. Like just like in hardcore, I'll follow like Pulse mm-hmm. records or head to wall, which like, I feel like aren't like, you know, like triple B and flat spot. I feel like are like at the top of the hardcore pyramid right now. And I feel like it might right. not even be that long until they like, you know, become like what run for cover is now or something, you know, like, like, like mm-hmm. back in the day, like 10 years ago, run for cover was a tiny label. And then it's like, oh, then you guys got modern baseball and they <laughs> never left, you know, like that. And I feel like once like triple B gets that band who like gets big and they're like, we're going to stay on triple B. I feel like, you know, yeah. and then you're there's going to be like, okay, so who's the next cool small label? Maybe it's like from within records or like days, you know? So, yeah. um, very true. So I'm always trying to just like, whenever I like see a label has got like two or three bands I like, I'm like, okay, if I like two or three, I probably like a lot of the others. Um, yeah. So that's a big one for me is like following labels on Bandcamp. Um, and yeah, Twitter, like you said, like, um, I'm, I just, uh, do you know the band PS you're dead? Mm-hmm. Like, so I'm like super into what they're doing right now. And I guess they're like part of this whole, like crazy, like network of bands who were like mixing like hyper pop and like grindcore and like doing all this weird, like internet era, like heavy music. And they are just like yeah. always putting on for each other. Like there were the other day, there was this EP by this band Dreg, who I had like not totally heard of previously, but it was just like all of a sudden, like my whole Twitter feed was like, like Dreg's EP is sick. And so it's like, okay, you know, like, yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. The, yeah PS Your Dead uh, stuck out to me. Um, I haven't, I may have like list, passively listened to them, but I need to actually like listen to like their new stuff that they're putting out. Um, but um, John from Utmost, who's on Sunday Drive, actually recorded them. Um, I know that, and I have a zine that they're in it. Uh, so like, they're definitely like in my my knowledge. I just mm-hmm. need to like um, go out there and listen to them. But the way you describe it sounds very interesting. I think they only have like five songs total. Okay, yeah. Point, three of which came out this year, and like the ones from this year are like, I think a lot better recorded than like the two demoy ones. Yeah. Um, and they call themselves dance violence, which I think is amazing. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, that's cool. Yeah. I feel like it's like in like somewhere in the realm of like blood brothers, heavy, heavy, low, low, like those kind of just like super chaotic. Like, I guess like the word SAS core is kind of taking off. It's kind of like yeah. in that realm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they're awesome. I feel like they're like when they do a full length, I'm going to be very excited. I'm, they're definitely like, as far as like, <laughs> bands with less than 10 songs go right now they're one of my favorites so yeah and like i want to go back to what you said about labels as well because it's very like um i guess comforting to me uh, to hear that running a, a label myself um because i i realize that like labels aren't as like you know prominent or important as they used to be um years ago and because like bands have the ability to be able to do everything themselves now um which is great um, but I'm glad to hear that like people are still checking out labels and like, you know, having that curation, um, from, a, from a label and people, you know, doing the work from that, uh, dead end. And you mentioned like run for cover, um, like they're like for, for years, uh, throughout my, my teens, like they're the label that I would go to, like every release that was coming out, like I had to make sure it's like, to like listen to that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've had similar experiences with like Triple B, um, most recently, like um, Close Casket, 
Um, that's that's yeah. another one I, I meant to mention. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're amazing. Uh, Nick, who does Numerality Zine, like I always check out uh, their stuff. Like, uh, so yeah, I, I realized that I, I still like keep up with labels. Um, I kind of have to like, <laughs> have, like running a label, um, I guess, but it's, uh, it's good to hear that. Um, and I'm, I'm sure other, others do as well. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I've been following Sunday Drive on Bandcamp too since before <laughs> this, you know, like, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, and I think it, that might've even been because like, I think maybe Nick from Numerality's he tweeted about Sunday Drive or something. Um, yeah. I can't remember, but, um, but I love that label too. And like, and Nick mm-hmm. is just like such a huge music fan. And um, that's, I think the thing, right. It's like, you know, like you said, like bands can get really big with no labels, but like the curation aspect, like people like you, like, you know, what you're talking about, you have great taste, you know, when you hear something awesome, um, and you're like, okay, so like, we're going to put the record out and like create this little like network of bands that we all think are awesome. And yeah. so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's just like about, like, I hate to use the word like taste maker because I, feel like, <laughs> but just, you know, when you're like, when you trust, but I mean, you're like, okay, like this person and I have a lot of music tastes in common. They have their ear to the ground and always looking for new stuff. They're like, I'm curious, you know, what they're t- into, you know, what, and if, and if it's a label, what they're putting out, and if it's the writer, what they're writing articles about, you know, like. Definitely. Like, uh, and a lot of it too, um, just from like talking to, to other labels, like it really is like a labor of love. Um, like a lot of the labels, like the smaller ones, especially, um, you know, and even myself, like I don't do this full time. Like I, I do it like on my free time um, to help bands reach more people. Um, cause if I really like this band, I really appreciate their art. Like I want others to hear it. Similar to like as a regular listener, if you like this band, like you're gonna show your friends, like oh, have you heard this? Like that's just something that I, I love to do when I was like, you know, a teenager in high school. Um, I always had that like group of friends where I can show new music to. Um, so that's. Running a label is pretty much that <laughs> right. uh, to me, um, but like on a little bit larger scale where you can, you know, reach out to more people. And I feel that way about like what I do. Like I was, again, I was like, old exactly like, you have to hear this. And like, there's yeah. something so validating about hearing a band you love and showing it to someone else and having them be like, I love it too. So exactly. Yeah. I feel like I, you know, when I hear something great, I'm just like, I need to write about this on Brooklyn Vegan. Like people need to hear this, you know, like, so. Right. Yeah. And I, I've realized that um, as well. Like I mentioned, like you're one of my favorites because I, I do follow, follow your work. And like, I, I, I look out for the, these Brooklyn Vegan articles. Um, Cause it, it does, you do a great job of like capturing like music from like the past month, for example, uh, where you can like group them and I can go and look and, you know, uh, hear like what's new, uh, anything that I had missed. Um, and, uh, Brooklyn vegan has been like a huge site throughout, you know, a pretty good portion of my life and as consuming music. Um, so I always knew of them. Um, but before I always saw them as like this bigger site that covered like the larger bands. Um, and it wasn't until recent years where I actually started following, um, like you and like a few other writers where I see, uh, a lot more like small labels or like small bands coming up on Brooklyn Vegan, um, uh, which is like very exciting to see. Uh, so I'm really appreciative of like Brooklyn Vegan is covering these bands, 
um, because they definitely deserve uh, the attention. Like you mentioned, uh, Acrobat and Stable um, earlier. Like I probably uh, wouldn't have known about them if it wasn't from Brooklyn Vegan, I don't think. Um, cause I saw like the, the YouTube videos that you all, you all were sharing about like their record store halls. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought that was like really cool. Um, and we've been chatting a little bit, uh, since then. So I hope to chat with them more. And, um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, you're, you do, you're doing exactly, uh, what I'm doing, uh, as far as like reaching out to, to more people. Um, and yeah, it's kind of cool to kind of put this all together now i'm seeing it like there's so many different aspects of that very fundamental thing of like oh hey you know ex-friend whatever like uh, have you checked out this new band uh, and all these like avenues are very like exciting to like realize <laughs> yeah and thank you for saying all of that um <laughs> yeah um and yeah i mean um i just feel very like you know, no matter how big or small, like if the music is great, then it deserves to be. Um, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Like that's, uh, yeah, that's the main goal. Just, you know, if the music's good, <laughs> but yeah. I just wanted to share it. Um, so as far as um, we're, we're talking about music discovery, uh, do you think with playlists and um like streaming services that are very prominent right now for a kid that's growing up. Do you think that they're primarily consuming music through like playlists and things, or do you think that, um, and it might, it may, may be a combination of both, but, or do you think they're consuming it more uh, organically? Like we mentioned, like being in school or, you know, having that one friend or having that older brother or sister or whomever, um, to be able to experience that music because I can kind of see it as like a lot of the, uh, the playlist doing a lot of the work, because if I were to think back to it, like, uh, an example that I mentioned, like simple plan, if they come up with my like playlist at that time where like I had, you know, access to everything that would be like pretty like eye opening to me. Like I would hear that and then I like, go see what other playlists there are. Um, and find like all these bands that are probably would have been very harder to, to, you know, learn about. So I'm curious That's to hear really your, your thoughts. Yeah. That's a really good point. I, I have like no insight into like what kids listen to. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I, you know, like, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like music writers might try, but I don't think we can really know. Um, and I mean, yeah. I've spent like, I'm 30. I spent a lot of my career writing about bands that music writers were ignoring when I was a kid, you know, right. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> um, so what's going to happen, I think is, and what's already happening now, I think, you know, again, like, I mean, there are writers who are younger than me who are talking about bands that I wasn't talking about. And there's going to be writers even younger yeah. than them. And I'm so ready. To, I'm like, so curious. I'm like, I'm like waiting for like some kid to like blow my mind and be like, like, such and such band got me into music and I'm going to be like, you liked that band, you know, like, <laughs> they were like, you know, they were when, when I started writing about music, there were older people who were like, you like Blink-182, you know, like people were just yeah, like, yeah. Oh, isn't that like totally like a garbage child band? Like, um, now though, I mean, it's, it's crazy how much it's changed, right? Like 
when I first wrote about Blink-182, which if I'm not mistaken, was in 2013, and I don't mean to make the entire conversation about that band, uh, <laughs> but I talk about them a lot. Um, yeah. When I wrote about them for the first time, like I was totally hated on. Like The comment section was like, you don't know anything about music. This is not a serious band. Like You're totally wrong. I just wrote about the 20th anniversary of Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, and it's just right. all people being like, oh my God, I love that record. Can't believe it's 20. Like, it's, <laughs> Eight years later, it's like yeah. a completely different world. All the people who, you know, were like, no, 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 like probably have moved on from music internet, right? Because like they were yeah. probably already like 40 then and now they're like, I'm not going to like get involved with like what some blog is writing about. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, and, and people who are consuming blogs are probably in their late teens and early 20s or mid 20s. And they're probably like, yeah, it's a classic record. Lovely. <laughs> um, yeah. So I have no idea what kids do. Um, I assume TikTok is really important. I mean, like just my fiance uses TikTok a lot. I'm not mm-hmm. on it, which I feel like I don't know if I should admit that or not. I feel like it's almost <laughs> better like to be on it at this point. Yeah. But, um, but like I just, you know, she's on it and I can definitely tell that like many of the people who go viral are much younger. Um, but right. the songs, like the 15 second clips of those songs, yeah. like I feel like what that does is like what radio and MTV did for me. Like, um, that's true. I mean, even for me now, like I love good for you by Olivia Rodrigo. And like, I listened to the album once when it came out and I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. And then I heard that song like 20 times because of TikTok, like <laughs> overhearing, like, and I was like, this song is amazing. You know? And like, and I, and I, I do think like, you know, you see all the time, you see a lot in hip hop too. Like, Rappers go viral with one song on TikTok and then turns out they're really good. They get a label deal, they make a full record, and then the full record is awesome. And like these people who are discovering them from a 15 second clip on like a viral dance move or something are now like listening to the album on Spotify, going to shows when shows happen again. Um, so I would assume that would be a big one. I assume that's like taken over what, I mean, I know radio still exists. I don't know who listens to it. Um, yeah. I, I, you're probably right. That like the Spotify playlist thing. Like, yeah, I bet like if I was just listening to like, cause you know, like, again, like my introduction and, and your introduction too, like to punk music was kind of through pop music. Like we just got right. lucked out that like, you know, I lucked out that now three had a punk song on it. So I, <laughs> I assume that like, you know, Maybe right now someone's listening to like the pop playlist on Spotify and it's got that Olivia Rodrigo song and they fall in love yeah. with it and they click her name and maybe she's on one of these pop punk playlists because that song is pop punk. Um, yeah. And maybe they're like finding out about, you know, actual, pop. I mean, you know, I like, again, but you know, bands who dedicate their career to being a punk band. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know, maybe, but, um, but yeah, I really don't know what kids do. I'm really curious. Um, and I'm also yeah. just really curious, like, again, I'm really curious about, like, I, I don't want to use the term gateway band negatively, just like factually, because I mean, you know, factually speaking, like the popular bands I found first were the gateways. I still think they're great, but like, right. I'm curious who today's gateway bands are for like, you know, this kind of music. Like, I think if right. you're 14 years old and you listen to, you know, like Run for Cover and Top Shelf bands or something, which I mean definitely is a you know you go see like when you went to see modern baseball uh, touring the second record everybody there was a teenager um so it's not like it was they were definitely not many adults in the audience um 
I, I think the the you know the narrative there's a big narrative in music writing that like oh, the kids don't like rock and it's like go to an emo show it's not okay. <laughs> um, yeah. so I think you know those people are probably you know talking amongst their friends and I know a lot of those bands got big on Tumblr at the time um, yeah. but they're probably talking to their friends being like check out Citizen check out Basement check out Bouncing Composure and creating this little network the way that like you know me and my friends did with Alkaline Trio and Catch Twenty Two and stuff who also like weren't on the radio or or MTV or um, but weren't like obscure either you know um, so I think there's probably always that um, but um, but as far as like people who haven't found it yet I'm I would love to know the answer but I don't think I do. yeah <laughs> now it's you mentioned a lot of great stuff, but um, one of the things that stood out to me is that I guess can be summed up as like internet culture. Um, mm. And I, when you mentioned TikTok, I was like thinking back, like what we had. Um, and that probably would have been like MySpace, uh, which then probably transitioned to Tumblr. Uh, and then now we're kind of like Instagram, TikTok, Twitter um, type of space. And I do think that it plays like a huge role uh, because when you mentioned Tumblr, like it lit up the light like right away because that's how I discovered like a lot of bands because um, I was a teenager like many uh, on Tumblr in the early 2010s. Mm -hmm. um, you had follow blogs like live shots were like very popular. There was always like uh, like music posts were like lyrics and stuff. Um, so if I if something like came up that was interesting. Um, I would go check out that band. That's how I find out about like Knuckle Puck and like Real Friends, um, like The Wonder Years, um, you know, all of those uh, big, bigger uh, pop punk bands now. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I didn't realize it again <laughs> when you had mentioned like uh, the Tumblr thing. And now looking uh, at TikTok, similar to you, I, I don't use it very often. Um, but when I do, uh, it's mainly like, just like funny videos uh, or like cat videos right. is what I, <laughs> I usually see. Um, but yeah, the, the, I know all the songs, <laughs> like yeah. uh, it's so uh, crazy how like it's that uh, like sticks out and like it's in your head now, um, which is very interesting. Um, and I do think it probably plays like a huge role um, in music discovery. Um, I just wish that I knew more <laughs> about right. it. <laughs> I think so too. And um, just on this topic, there's yeah. a really good Stereogum article that just came out. I can send it to you after if you haven't seen it. And yeah. it's about this. It's about how uh, it's about pop punk specifically and how like each social media platform that like kind of drove the conversation. Like again, oh, wow. the Tumblr era with like real friends, Knuckle Puck went like, yeah. and, um, and the MySpace era. And MySpace era was big for me and also Pure Volume. Yeah. Did you ever, were you a Pure Volume person ever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, have like pure volume sessions yeah yeah it was like the same thing as like you know like like who you think in the liner notes it was like who's in your top eight right on myspace like if i liked a band and they had seven bands in their top eight i knew and one i didn't i'd be like i gotta listen to that band, you know and right um and then people's personal profiles always had a song playing and like you always wanted to like you know not have like a mo the most obvious one right so like yeah. somebody can hopefully yeah um <laughs> Even um, even Live Journal uh used to have like you know you'd write your daily thing and it would be like there'd be a thing on top of your little post for the day and it'd be like what song you're listening to today and like you mm -hmm. can, I would love that aspect and I always like <laughs> can't wait to pick my song of the day yeah um and you know say, like friends I go on friends Live Journals 
and they'd be like, oh, my song of the day is like, I don't know, like Hot Rod Circuit or something. And I'd be like, oh, I gotta yeah. do that song, you know, like, um, so yeah, those social media platforms definitely are huge for that. Yeah. And like, I guess we kind of still have an aspect of that today. Um, I guess it's just not more of a, a dedicated music section of your like profile, for example, but like, um, I'm always seeing like music, uh, shared through Instagram stories, um, with like friends, like that's kind of like the track of the day, uh, almost, um, right. where like, you know, people post that or playlists and like, you know, uh, share their own playlists, uh, even artists playlists. We were talking about like Spotify, um, earlier, um, but specifically an artist playlist where they like list out their influences. Uh, mm -hmm. even for me, like now, like that's very like, uh, cool to see. Uh, I know like Fiddlehead did theirs for their, like their last album, uh, or the first album, uh, where you can see like all the inspirations that they're drawing from, uh, which, uh, introduced me to a few bands. Uh, Millspec also had one. Um, and the same thing introduced me to new bands. Um, so yeah, I, I guess there, there is like that sort of aspect still involved, uh, in social media. Um, but I just don't think that there's a dedicated platform, uh, for it. Um, as you know, like you mentioned MySpace, like having that music section, you mentioned mm -hmm. live journal, um, you know, the Tumblr posts and so on. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I'm also curious if, you know, like, I mean, I feel like no, no matter how hard I try, I'm a little bit past the point in my life where <laughs> music discovery, like, is like a natural everyday thing, right? Like I, yeah. my friends are over it. Like I do it because, yeah. you know, not only is it what I do for a living, but it's also what I love doing. But like, yeah. it's different when you're 14. Um, and I'd be really curious to know, like, I'm sure I, I, like, I would, I would assume a 14 year old's perspective might be different. Like we're looking for like, what's the equivalent to the thing that we knew, but the answer is probably just that it isn't what we knew. It's just, you know what I mean? Right. It's probably something else that like, we might right. not fully grasp. Um, and uh, I also wanted to say one that I love that last meal spec record and two oh, yeah. um, that I guess, you know, like what you're talking about, like artist influences playlists, like um, some people might consider this like, you know, kind of like interview 101, but I love asking artists like who their influences are. And uh, one of the big features we do at BV is like for the new Fiddlehead record, we ask them right. to, like name influences and they they saw eight, that yeah they picked eight records and and told us a little bit about each one and i yeah. love that i mean i've found bands through that like i mean you know like when it's just eight or ten records and a lot of the times you're like oh yeah like i figured you were listening to guided by voices or whatever you know like, <laughs> yeah um but like you know sometimes there are like surprises and i'll be like oh you know what like i don't know this and and i mean um especially now there are like a lot of the bands I'm listening to are a little bit younger than me and their influences are bands that were maybe not coming to me at the time because I was like, you know, maybe not like involved in the scene in, in that way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, like just for example, like I interviewed Hazing Over recently, the band who used to be called Shingard. And mm -hmm. they were like, yeah, like our introduction to heavy music was like Chelsea Grin and Suicide Silence. And I was yeah. like, I was like, whoa, like when those bands came out, I was like, I want nothing to do with them. Like I was just like not <laughs> yeah. even close to involved with deathcore. Um, but like I went back and listened to them because hazing over is good. And I really like 
you know, their EP. And so I'm like, I, you know what? I guess I'm going down the late 2000 yeah. rabbit hole in 2021. And I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever be like a true fan, but there's some cool stuff, you know, <laughs> like I'm like yeah. right now in 2021 being like, maybe I like job for a cowboy, you know? <laughs> like, um, yeah. So it's cool to find stuff that way, you know, like to just go back and be like, Oh, like I never would have listened to this at the time. Like, not just like, you know, growing up, it was always like, okay, who are the legendary bands from before I was old enough? You know, like, again, like Nirvana's talking about the meat puppets, like, okay, I got to hear them. They're a great album came out before I was born. Um, but like a lot of times now it might be just stuff that I could have totally heard if I was paying attention to it. But I was like, you know, listening to Fleet Foxes instead or something. Cause it was like 2007 and <laughs> I didn't want to like be a scene kid anymore. And so, you know, like, yeah. um, but yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's funny going back and like listening to, um, the bands that you mentioned, uh, because I have, uh, I guess like some sort of affinity to that era, um, but also some sort of like embarrassment or like cringiness. Um, and it, I think it primarily has to do with the aesthetic of it because, you know, the band merch was so like prominent, like a hot topic where like they'd have uh, crazy illustrations, like cartoons and like, you know, weird letters and everything where it became like a look um, for um, kids my age. And I went through like, a, a slight phase like eighth grade ninth grade where I was like trying to to do that I think um but I I uh looking back on it I'm like why was I you know wearing wearing like dumb shirts or whatever um but it's because I like the bands I mean like um you know getting away from like the embarrassment of the aesthetic but like looking into actual songs um like Bands like uh, The Devil Rush Prada or A Day to Remember, um, Attack Attack. Um, that Those are kind of the bands that I found like on my own um, that were an introduction to the heavier music. Uh, so mm -hmm. similar to, you know, the band that you mentioned, um, they're more, I guess, more on the like the death core or death metal um, side. Um, whereas these are, I guess, metal core, uh, maybe be a, a genre tag for for Devil's Prada uh, Attack Attack, um, or I know Crapcore is like a thing for Attack Attack, um, but yeah, those bands were just like very popular at the time when I was uh, young, um, and I'm curious if like other people feel that way, or like, uh, or if people are embracing it more because, like you mentioned, like with this band, I'm it's I think as I got older, I started to like, not be so like ashamed of it or like, I'm yeah. having so much more embarrassment. Um, I, I'm realizing that I think, cause you, I'm sorry, I'm like going back to like things that you were saying as well. Like the, the music comments, like on your article, or like mm -hmm. Link-182, I think there's been like a lot of growth in people, even like in younger people as well, where we're kind of more like, more accepting like as like whatever you like whatever music like you like you don't have to be ashamed of it um whereas like before and exactly in the era that you mentioned like 2013 you know or years around that i felt like it was oh you still like you know you still like attack attack in 2013 right. like oh you know um it's kind of like something to be embarrassed uh about um but now i, I see it i do see it like more embraced 
um, and bands kind of like going back to that specific scene, like um, what's that band? If I Die First, um, that are very uh, much going to like uh, from first to last uh, and like under oath. They have members of from first to last. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So yeah, I, I do see it like being embraced more, but I was curious to see if like you had that sort of phase where you're, you know, a little bit, uh, or maybe were embarrassed, but now like you absolutely love it or whatever. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like, it's funny because, you know, like when I was like 18, 19, I think I wanted to be 30 and now I'm 30. (laughs) I'm like, I think I want to be 18 or 19. Like, um, cause like at that point when I was like kind of graduating high school and going to college, um, I was, you know, listening to like, I was really into like the indie folk stuff in, in the late 2000s. Um, this is like around 09 or so. And I was into like Fleet Foxes and Boney Vare. I was really into Animal Collective. And I still love all that stuff. I'm not like, right. I, I mean, very actively love that stuff. But I definitely had this idea of like, that was cooler. And I needed to grow yeah. out of pop punk and emo. And like, I mean, it's funny because like, I remember like when Taking Back Sunday did the Tell Your Friends 10th Anniversary Tour, like, I all at that point, 10 years past Tell Your Friends, so 2012, because that came out in 02, that album felt like a century old to me. Like, I was like, but yeah. like, because it's just like your life changes so much. Like, you know, it came out when I was like 11, and then now I'm 21 and they're touring it for an anniversary. And I'm yeah. like, whoa, that's like a band I used to like, you know, like, but now it's like, I'm like, oh, 10 years isn't so long. Like, you know, like, I yeah. mean, like Joyce Manor just announced a 10th anniversary show. Yeah. I'm like, that record just came out. Like, um, but, um, but, uh, yeah, like I definitely was rejecting all that. Like, and even if you look at like a lot of the bands from that era, like, you know, did they really all fall off by the late two thousands or like did millennials just all grow out of them around the same time, you know, like, cause there's, I mean, right. there's definitely something to be said, like, I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, by the late 2000s, like a lot of those bands were breaking up, had already broken up, had tra- had like transitioned way out of the punk world. Like, like at that point, like Fall Out Boy and Panic at the Disco were like not pop punk anymore. Um, yeah. Blink 2 was broken up. Like My Chemical Romance was about to break up. Thursday and Thrice were breaking up. Taking Back Sunday had like, they had like just reunited with the, <laughs> with the original lineup. Right. Um, or not original, but the Tell Your Friends lineup. Yeah, but it felt like you know, oh, we you know we 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 tried Spraylight Run, we tried Taking Back Sunday with different people, and it, it you know we're not doing that anymore. Now we're going back to the old songs. Like it felt like a nostalgia thing. You know what I mean? Like that that yeah. whole it really felt like that era was over in a way. And I was very much personally like, no, no, those are things I used to like. Like you know, I'm not going to Warp Tour anymore. I'm not going to Bamboozle anymore. Like. Um, grew out of that but then yeah um i it, it's funny too because it only was a few years that i felt this way in hindsight even though it felt much longer but um <laughs> basically like a lot of good bands started coming out like um honestly like two of the bands i always credit for really like putting me back on the punk and emo etc train are um cloud nothings and Japandroids who I guess to a lot of people are indie rock bands, but that's also mm-hmm. totally why it happened because like cloud, nothing's put out attack on memory and it got like best new music on pitchfork. And I was like, 
whoa, this is like an emo record. Like, I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is like a buzz band with like making an emo record. Like, and I didn't, didn't even like, wasn't super into like what they had done prior. I was like, oh, they're like, it was like, I don't know, felt too trendy kind of. Like, I was like, okay, you guys are like super lo-fi to cover up like the lack of real songs or whatever. <laughs> and it was like, no, no, not at all. You're like a legit band with a dope drummer. And you've got this like record that sounds like Sunday real estate. Um, and then Japan joins the Celebration Rock and it was the same thing. They were this buzz band. And then here's this like big, like heartfelt, like pop punk record, basically just like, you know, not as shiny as like a true pop punk record, but pretty much a pop punk record. Um, and again, it was super hyped by critics. And I just kind of like had this thing where I was like, wait a minute, like, so it's okay to like, you know, listen to really loud, catchy, heartfelt rock music. <laughs> like that's okay. We can do that now. Yeah. And then like, it became like, I was like, all right, well, if, if that's happening again, it's not just those two bands, like who else is it? And then I found my way to like Joyce Manor and the Menzingers and title fight. Right. Um, and I was like, oh, wow, there's like a whole circuit of bands like doing this. And then, you know, it took a few years for those bands to get that critical attention. But I very much felt like they deserved it, like off the bat. Um, and I think we're yeah. now seeing like all these amazing things, like these 10th anniversary articles coming out, like, you know, on yeah. Joyce Manor's first record, The Wonder Years Suburbia, Balancing Composure's first record, Title Fight Shed. And it's like, these aren't, these are like important records. Like these are the classics, yeah. like the way that, you know, at that point in time, like Thursday's full collapse or at the driving's relationship with command, those were the classics, like, you know, in the early 2010s. And now these are like really classic records. Um, yeah. And um, so basically to, I don't, I totally digress from your question, <laughs> no, but, totally um, but basically like, yeah, I, I definitely had that little moment of just like, I'm not into that stuff anymore, but I came back to it. And once I did come back to it, it was just like, I'm going all in. Like, it was like, yeah, like, I'm like, you guys are listening to like waves and you don't think they're influenced by Blink-182? Like, are you joking? <laughs> like, and so I was just like, no, come on. Like, you have to acknowledge this stuff. And like Green Day, like, I mean, pick an indie rock band off the street. They own Dookie on CD, you know? Like, I'm like, you guys yeah. like, like, and the offspring, like, and all those like big nineties pop punk bands, like those bands, like those are the bands and rancid, like those bands influenced. those bands are more influential on current indie rock than like pavement and guided by voices. Because yeah. like, if you're, if you're playing in an indie rock band in your early twenties in the 2010s, like you probably have heard pavement, but you definitely heard green day first, you know, like, yeah. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so like, those were the bands like that were that got, my generation, I think, into alternative music, um, the big mm -hmm. pop punk bands. Um, so I would just like, you know, I wanted to draw those connections. That was a big reason I started that column too, like just to be like, okay, yeah, like, you know, Gorilla Biscuits are a really cool band. And I'm going to talk about that really cool band just as seriously as I'm going to talk about Newfound Glory who covered them, you know, like, it's yeah. like, we're going to like, we're going to look at both bands and we're just going to assess them as like who they are. And I think, you know, it's totally valid. Like Newfound Glory wanted to write really, really sugary, really, really polished music, but like there's a place for that. I mean, that's how the entire like wonder Years story so far, man overboard scene. Happened. Yeah. There were these kids who were like, 
we actually like punk better when it's really produced and really catchy. They were like, you know, like we don't want to like be a lo-fi band. Like, um, we actually love like, you know, the starting line and stuff. And like, we like want to sound like that. Um, so I just try to do, I just try to be like, you know, like, don't, don't look at like a popular poppy punk band as like a watered down version of something else. Just try to look at it for like what it is, like try to see like what they're doing, you know? And, and I think, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of those bands are really innovative, you know, like, again, like if you're, if we're talking about what critics were saying, this is the early 2000s, you had the Strokes put their first record out and critics were like, the Strokes are saving rock. And I love the Strokes first record and second record, Mm -hmm. even some of the later ones, but they weren't saving rock. Like, I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I'm listening to like System of a Down, like, and like, (laughs) there's plenty of rock, you know, like, um, like what, what is rock need to be saved from? Like, bands that aren't just like the strokes were like a great band but they were like absolutely like copying an old thing like from like you know the 70s like they were like but a a lot of this like a lot of the pop punk emo the new metal like the stuff that was really popular was really innovative because that was like a new kids generation's music like i think if you always look at the history of rock like kids have dictated it like kids in the 70s were like i love led zeppelin and their parents were like turn that noise off and in the eighties, that's the same thing, but like it was Slayer, you know, like, and yeah. it's like, if, if my rock music as a young kid in the early two thousands is like the strokes, like, you know, and my parents will be like, sounds like music we have in our place. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, no, like you had to like, you had a weird amount. You had to play Slipknot, you know, <laughs> like that. Yeah. I think like, you know, the, that's like, to me, the moment, um, where critics kind of lost sight of the fact that like kids really dictate youth oriented music and that's what rock and punk is um and i think that we have come back around to that almost sometimes too much because i almost feel like now sometimes you have like critics who are adults being like i think the kids like this like so i'm gonna like it <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to be like steve buscemi and 30 rock about it you know like, yeah. it's okay, it's not everything for you um yeah. but um but yeah i think that was uh that was a big thing that happened in the music critic world at that time and so one of the things i've wanted to do with this column is kind of go back and be like, I kind of want to talk about some of like those records, like, you know, just as seriously as I would talk about like the records that were allowed to be taken seriously. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about that too. Like, uh, so you, you write a, a column called in defense of the genre that's primarily focused on pop punk, um, bands. Uh, I, I would say it's like, not just pop punk. I would say yeah. it's like anything under the punk umbrella that had kind of been maligned from like the like cool yeah yeah Yeah. so i i was gonna say like one it's like a very like good title (laughs) for it uh and two i know it's like a a say anything reference Um, yeah yeah it's so yeah it's a really great column um but what i wanted to talk about is um you had mentioned uh, the Wonder Years, uh, like when I was reading through uh, the ten-year anniversary of Suburbia, that uh, they like, like kind of hate, like get stoked on it, which is like I believe their first record. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of have like that bit of embarrassment, like looking back on like the earlier records. Um, but what I think that going uh, to the topic of pop punk, um, and specifically within that era. I was like right in the middle of 
you know, we were talking about bands like, uh, like transit or like title fight man overboard. And like that was like happening while I was in high school and it was very like exciting. Um, and at the time, you know, when you're encapsulated in something, you don't realize like what's happening. Um, mm -hmm. but like looking back at it now, like you were talking about, you know, these albums turning 10 years old and being classics, like that's very true. And like, uh, it definitely opened up a whole new world for me. Um, and I do think that people my age as well, I'm, by the way, I'm going to be 25. So like, and we're talking about like within this age range, mm -hmm. um, but like for people who are within this, I think it will also open a world for them. Um, transitioning or maybe not even transitioning, but you know, having that, that bridge, uh, where you can go from a pop punk kid and discover like emo and hardcore. Um, specifically, I know like the title fight shed record, like uh, on the back, Ben is wearing like a Texas is the reason hoodie. I remember seeing that when I was a kid and like I looked them up and I listened to them. At the time, I didn't love it, uh, which is kind of crazy to think about because they're like my favorite band now. So I think I was just like a little bit too young to appreciate them. Um, but now I'm like going back and like, yeah, they've been my favorite band for like the past few years. Um, and like the story so far, I realized that was like a newfound glory, um, song title. Right. Like, um, I knew newfound glory. I didn't like listen to them that much though, but around that time I went back and listened to them and I realized we had like a CD in our collection that <laughs> I, you know, it's been there all this time that I just wasn't actively listening to. Um, you know, and they were all pulling kind of from like, uh, get up kids, uh, you know, was like probably a big inspiration for those crop events, but also like some of the drive through records, um, stuff like, like we mentioned, newfound glory, but also probably the starting line, um, and bands like that. Um, so right now, uh, it seems like pop punk kind of like went away from my perspective, uh, and like after like man overboard and those bands, like I, I felt like it was a little bit quiet and then emo kind of like took over where you had, you mentioned like modern baseball, um, and bands like that were like more popular. Um, but now I'm looking back or looking at it right now. Um, it's kind of getting to the, the mainstream point. Um, like you mentioned the Olivia record, um, but also like all these Travis Barker features, um, yeah. like going into like the pop, uh, you know, mainstream world. Um, and I'm, I was noticing this happened before, uh, we talked about it earlier, like bands breaking up, um, you know, uh, around 2006, 2009 era, mm. probably, uh, where you had the My Chemical Romance and, you know, all the bands that you mentioned, like, uh, start being bands, uh, starting line, uh, the early November, all those like drive-through bands, like um, probably stopped being bands around that point. Uh, and it's because it was becoming very main mainstream. Um, and it was, probably had this commercialism to it that wasn't appealing anymore, I'm assuming. Um, obviously I wasn't there um, or old enough to understand at the time, but that's what I would assume. But do you kind of foresee that happening um, again, or do you, do you foresee like a new wave of like pop punk bands happening or is it already happening? And I just don't know about it yet. So, um, so I just did a list on BV of 10 songs from the current pop punk revival. Yeah. Um, I think it's a fairly, like, I think if you, if you're into this kind of stuff, it's probably all stuff, you know, like it was just, 
more geared towards maybe like hopefully at least reaching people who like you know are listening to like Olivia Rodrigo and Machine Gun Kelly and don't realize it does go deeper. Um, but we'll see who knows. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I think it's a great thing. Honestly, I think like, I think, I mean, you have Olivia Rodrigo and Machine Gun Kelly are really popular and they are like making, truly making pop punk. Like it's, it's obviously a bit different than it was in 1999. And it's obviously like, obviously like, you know, I mean, bands like Blink-22 and Green Day, um, they came from like the punk scene before they were popular. So there's obviously not yeah. that happening with like Olivia Rodrigo and Machine Gun Kelly. Um, but just to have that music be that popular, I think can only do good things. I mean, of course there are also negative things that can happen. Like obviously there is all these horror stories of like major labels scooping up like aspiring young punk bands and not knowing what to do with them and like holding on to their record and not giving like them the rights. And like, like they were like, you know, like bands who, would make a record and like the major would be like, we can't sell this. And then it would just get shelved. Like, um, right. I think that happened to like sense field and their record was shelved for years because they just like there. And it was just like, you know, like what a great band, but it, like, they just, the major label didn't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, so obviously like when you start getting like the majors and corporations and everything involved, there are obviously things that can go wrong, but I think ultimately it's a great thing for the genre to have the exposure. I mean, when you had like in the, in the early two thousands, when you had bling ready two and some 41 and simple plan blowing up all of a sudden, like fat records and epitaph records could like afford to give their bands real budgets because like, you know, like there is so much demand. Like people were like, we want to listen to more punk bands. Um, you didn't have to be on a major to get big. Like, obviously a lot of them went to majors, but like, I mean, like Blink-182 and Green Day took Staves the Day on tour when they were on Vagrant. You know, like um, these, like Taking Back Sunday's biggest music came out when they were on Victory. Like they eventually went to a major, but like, I mean, what are all the emo nights named after? It's all references to tell all your friends, you know, like, um, so like these bands, um, like, really were able to have sustainable careers because there was demand for the type of music they were playing. And so like the way I'm looking at the current pop of revival and like, if you like the little list I made, like, yeah, it has machine gun Kelly and it has Olivia Rodrigo and it has um, Travis Barker's record with Kenny Hoopla, which I think is really cool. And Travis Barker's song with Willow, which I think is really cool. And obviously those are like on major labels and, and, you know, they yeah. have backing of like, Travis Barker, who's like one of the most celebrity drummers ever. Um, but then I have like Pink Shift and Meet Me at the Altar and Action Adventure and this band Glacier Veins uh, and this band Dollskin or Hopeless um, and this band Closure from Sydney. And like, you know, they're playing real pop punk, like as pop punk as in like, not like pop punky emo or pop punky indie rock, like pop punk, like really poppy yeah. music. But they're like, you know, most of them are on independent labels or like, I guess, Meet Me at the Others on Food by Ramen, which I guess is a major, but still has that punk cred, I guess. Um, But they're small bands, like in comparison. And I think that those bands are getting uplifted a little bit, um, like because people are like listening to Machine Gun Kelly and Olivia Rodrigo and they're like a little, they're a little hungry for something else um, like that. Yeah. So I think... 
that is a good thing for that reason. I hope that the current generation is able to like, because I think what happened when like, when punk band, like once Nirvana got gigantic, it was just like, you know, it was one punk trend after another. Like first it was Green Day and then it was like Ska and then it was like Blink-22 and, and like that kind of glossy pop punk and then it was emo and like all these times, like these bands are just like bands who never would have occurred to them to sign to a major label when they formed, right? Like like I just was talking yeah. to Jeff Ripley from Thursday on our show and he was like, when we formed our like our band, we wanted to like play a basement show. Like we like we didn't want to like, we didn't know it ended up on Island Records, you know, like right. uh, that like seemed insane. Like, so hopefully now that like, the idea of a punk band on the major label is something that's like pretty well established. Maybe we'll see like bands not run into some of those same issues. I don't know. I mean, I'm not involved in the industry side in that way. I'm not totally sure what will happen, but I'm really hoping that having this music be popular again, is just good for like the genre overall. Cause I don't know. I yeah. think it's cool. I think it's cool that like punk derived music is having a moment. Like, I don't want to sound stuck in the past. I don't want to be like music was better when I was a kid. Um, and I love mm -hmm. a lot of current mainstream music and I love a lot of like new innovative trends that happen within mainstream music. But I just think there's like a certain cathartic release from like loud guitar music that has been missing. Um, yeah. And I think that it's really, I think there are a lot of kids who are yearning for it the same way there were when like Nirvana unexpectedly blew up because I think they blew up because when their music reached large audiences, people were like, oh, I think I do want that. You know, like, and I think it's happened with Blink-182 also. Like when I first heard Blink-182, I didn't know what I was looking for. And they became what I was, they were like, oh, this is what I'm looking for. You know, like, so yeah. I think that there are just, I think there's something like really like inside of us that like we don't know about that just like some of us at least, I think we gravitate towards the catharsis of like a loud rock band. Um, so I do think that like, it's a good thing that that music is coming back in, on a mainstream level. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I do hope that, um, well, obviously it's shining, a, shining a light on this, on this genre and it is going to grow and I'm sure there's going to be like a new crop of bands coming up. Um, what always intrigues me personally though, is seeing that, uh, more of a DIY aspect of the genre happening. Um, like similar to bands we talked about before, like the Wonder Years or the Story So Far or Man Overboard, they had that sort of like DIY uh, thing going for them where um, they, you know, I'm sure like they booked their own tours and stuff. Uh, and uh, also at the same time, we're probably wearing like hardcore shirts like on stage yeah. uh, or like on records or like referencing, you know, them in interviews, like you had mentioned. Things like that, I think are important in the DIY world. Um, and I, and I'm just excited to see that, that crop of bands, uh, come up again. Cause, um, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, I think it's important, uh, cause like punk has like such a, like a huge history, uh, and being able to like go back and like kind of in a way, remind people that this is where, you know, this, uh, genre of music came from. Um, and you know that from there people will get inspired and create new bands and form new sounds and do something different with the genre uh, which is always exciting to to see yeah uh but you mentioned um the you're, you're talking about albums uh being shelved 
Um, specifically, I know that has happened with the, the starting line and uh, the early November, or maybe not early November, but Ace, uh, Ace Enders and his solo project. Um, and that was happening with Drive Through Records transitioning to Geffen Records. Um, and, you know, things happen um, like that at the time. Um, you have this uh, piece about mature pop punk albums. And uh, these albums are coming up around that time when there was kind of like this major label, um, you know, things happening where, you know, they would have a say in the type of music um, that was coming out. But uh, a lot of great albums happen from that. Uh, and I wanted to talk to you more about that because uh, I think my favorite early November record is the Mother Mechanic in the Path. Um, that just had like a huge impact on me uh, in my youth. Um, also like um, the starting lines like direction or even based on a true story, um, that one was still like pretty more mature than you know, uh, say it like you mean it. Um, and then I know coming home from newfound glory is another one you mentioned, but like looking back on all these records, they're like, they're really great. And it's, as I mentioned earlier, it's always exciting to see something new happen with the genre, um, and any genre. Um, but something that's new and taking, you know, things in a different direction, um, I think is important. Um, otherwise we're kind of stuck, you know, in the, type of music yeah. that's been created since, you know, the eighties that I can just go back and listen to minor that if I wanted, you know, it's like another, you know, punk hardcore band. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, curious to know some of your uh, favorite uh, mature uh, pop punk albums. Well, my number one is definitely untitled blink. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Huge I mean, album. I think, I think they, I think they like invented a genre of music with that record that like hasn't been replicated, not even by them. Yeah. Um, like, it's just so fascinating. Like they just, cause what's, what's fascinating to me about that record. Cause what, one thing I talked about when I made that list is like what it did to the band's career and look at like newfound glory. Right. Like, I mean, I think coming home is a pretty good record. Um, but they immediately were like, we're going back to pop punk. Like it was just like, it didn't work out for yeah. them, I guess. I mean, they, I think it was their last album for the major that they were on at the time because the next record, Not Without a Fight, I think came out on Epitaph. So, like, I don't know if they got dropped because it wasn't selling um, or if they were just like, it's not fun to play these songs live. I don't know. But that really, like, you know, that was, like, the end for them. They never tried to be mature again. Um, yeah. In my opinion, which is why they also haven't made a good album in a very long time um, <laughs> because they like, all right, you guys are like 45 and you're playing like yeah. when you were 18. Like it's a little weird. Um, yeah. And the starting line broke up after direction um, and Kenny did personnel, which continued that right. pathway from pop punk um, and then vacationer, which also continued mm -hmm. that same path away. And like, I think, I think, you know, Kenny was very young. He was 15 on the first starting line record. Yeah. He went through what probably we went through. Like he got embarrassed with pop punk eventually. You know, like yeah, now you yeah. go see the starting line play and it's like, you can tell he's like, oh, like my high school band's got together. Weird. You guys like the songs, but sure. Here they are. Like it's, it's yeah. it very, very fun for him. Um, yeah. I actually really hope, I think of all the bands on that list, I think they're one who could make a really great record if they try. Um, yeah. But um, early November, same thing. Like they did that record, broke up, 
when they came back, I think they've actually, I think early November's new stuff is great. I think it's mm-hmm. really interesting and different, but like, it's obviously they were like, all right, we're going to still be like a heavier emo band again, which is great, but they definitely didn't like continue down the path of that album. Um, for Blink-182, everything just worked out perfectly for them. Like they were the biggest band in the world and Tom did Boxcar Racer because he was like, I have these weird, heavy post-hardcore songs that aren't going to work at Blink-182, so I'm just going to make them on my own. And it became like a massive selling record. Um, and then I guess my assumption is the rest of the band, maybe their management, their label was like, okay, I guess you proved us right. You can make a weird post-hardcore record. So they go make like this totally weird record that's like basically unprecedented, but they don't lose any fans in the process. Like they like feeling this and I miss you are like just as popular as their pop punk songs with all the same people. Like it's like, I mean, there it's almost like to the casual listener the change was almost hard, easy to miss, you know, like, I think there were some people who just like, but like, I think, you know, you listen to the deep cuts and you're like, what even is happening? You know, like this is not a pop punk record. Um, but they just like, they kept that accessibility they've always had. Um, which I also think, so if I could go back and redo that list, um, maybe it's because it was so new at the time, but I would include, uh, the wonder Years sister cities. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think they had a very similar thing where, um, although more so than that album, I would say No Closer to Heaven, um, it had the thing where like they pushed pop punk like as far as you could possibly push it to the point where like it's almost not fair to even call it pop punk anymore. But they still were scratching every single itch that they were ever scratching on the early records. Um, and I think that album is like so fascinating for that reason. Um, and I think the same thing with the Blink-Ready 2 record. Like, it's so experimental. It's so different. There's not a bad song. Um, and it it was, yeah, they were able to keep their fan base, but also, like, you know, probably find new fans. And I think, like, I mean, I think that record really sustained their career. Like, I think if they would have done End of the State Part 3 and then broken up, you know, like, they could be some 41 right now. Um but instead, like, you know, they transcend the genre. And now, like, like you said earlier, they're like the go-to reference band. I mean, they probably always yeah. would have been because, I mean, Edinburgh of the State changed the world. Like, if not for that album, we wouldn't <laughs> be talking about, like, you know. But still, you know, they, they, they changed the world in Edinburgh of the State. They made pop punk bigger than Green Day could ever make it. Um, and they paved the way for Some 41, Simple Plan, Newfound Glory, Fall Out Boy, Good Charlotte, like all American rejects, like all these gigantic bands only happen because Edwards of State creates that demand. Um, and then like those bands are like starting to pop off and do their thing. And Blink-Ready 2 is like, here's this totally weird record and nobody even tries to copy it. Um, <laughs> and so I think, you know, that gave them like, cause they have like now they have the artistic record, they have the world conquering record. And then early in their career, they have like the raw punk records, like which I think right. help because they have this punk cred. Like you listen to Dude Ranch and you're like, that's a punk record. And yeah. you know, Charlotte doesn't have that. And like All American Rejects doesn't have that. And Simple Plan mm. doesn't have that. Um, so I think Blink-Ready 2 had these three perfect phases where like there's the underground punk era, the totally like perfect glossy sugary pop era, and then the weird experimental era. They all worked. They all sounded great. Um, they just kind of pulled off like such a perfect career arc 
And then Tom left the band and Matt Skiba joined and they started working with John. Right. Kind of ruining all of that. But, you know, they've secured it. They secured it back in 03. So that's my favorite um, mature pop punk record uh, for yeah. that long winded reason. No, yeah, I think that's a, it's a great answer. And probably like if there was a correct answer to that question, I think that's probably, <laughs> probably it. Cause that is a huge record and what they've done on their, on that album is just amazing. Um, having Robert Smith from the cure singing on that album is like crazy to think about a perfect example of like yeah. following the influence back, you know, like, yeah, I definitely like, I don't know for sure if that song got me to the cure, but it was definitely a mix of like that and like AFI covering just like heaven, I think. Um, and AFI also being huge Cure fans was, I think, very important for the Cure's popularity amongst like top <laughs> female kids. Yeah. Um, and also Thursday were huge Cure fans and they toured with right. the Cure once. And like, um, so I think all at once you had a lot of those bands like really riding for the Cure and like positioning the Cure as a, like a proto emo band. Um, and so I think that was really important. Like, I mean, you, that, those are the things that you can never predict, you know, like that's, that's why, like, I get bored when people say like, nobody thought that band was good at the time. I'm like, okay, but it's 20 years later. What do you think now? Like, I'm like, like, look at Weezer. Weezer is a perfect example of a band where Gen Xers tell me, cause I was too young. They tell me that when Weezer came out, they were like an okay mainstream band but they were like humongously influential on like emo bands and pop punk bands. Right. So, like when we were getting into those bands, like Weezer were, every band was talking about Weezer, like everybody <laughs> was influenced by Weezer. Um, yeah. So I'm like, I don't care that like you didn't like them when they first came out. Like you, they're like one of the most influential bands of all time. I mean, obviously like, I feel like there's also a lot to reckon with in their lyrical content that doesn't hold up so well, yeah. but you know, like just if we're like the idea of like, like, you know, like a band, what a band can become over time, I think is fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, and even one of my favorite quotes ever is Robert Smith. The Bling Ray 2 were afraid to ask him to be on the record. Do you know this story? No, I don't. They were afraid to ask him to be on the record because they were like, he's going to think we're this juvenile pop-punk band with dick jokes or something. And he yeah. replied, he was like, nobody can ever know your full potential or where, where you will end up in your career. I love the music you sent me. I'd be more than happy to sing on it. And wow. I'm like, that's so amazing. And so, yeah. like, you know, like, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah, they, you know, they grew up, they were like, we don't want to be like that band forever. And I just think it's amazing that Robert Smith could see that because so many people couldn't see that. A lot of people might've liked that untitled record if they heard it at the time, but they were like, I'm not going to listen to a Blink-Rated 2 record. So, right. Shout out The Cure. <laughs> what yeah. a great band. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, as um, as we get to like the end of this, I did have like some quick fun questions um, that I was excited to chat with you about. Um, sure. we, we already kind of tackled the mature pop punk album, but we can kind of go into like emo and hardcore now. Um, but I'm curious, what is your favorite 90s emo album? So I would have to say, um, Sunny Day Real Estate, How It Feels to Be Something On. Oh, interesting. Which, uh, yeah. I thought you were going to say Diary. <laughs> Diary is the most important emo album ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think How It Feels is a better record. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. 
And I would have to say though, just because I feel like it has to be acknowledged, clarity would be a close second. Yeah. Like I feel like that's really up there. But yeah, how it feels for me, it's just like it's kind of similar to that untitled blink record where it's just like it wasn't really ever replicated. Like it was like, how did yeah. this band go from diary and LP2 to how it feels for something on? And then like they never do it again. Nobody else ever does it. Like, and I but nobody else ever did it, but I also think like it was in a way quietly influential. Like I think when you started to see a lot of the early 2000s emo bands get a little artistic towards the end of the decade. I think that record kind of helped pave the way for that. Yeah, that's a that's a good good uh, observation on, on that record because uh, that's one of the Sunny Day real estate albums that I don't always go to uh, because it is so much more experimental uh, than their earlier material. That one and like Rising Tides, um, I think. Uh, but LP2 and Diary are the ones that I always go to because they, I guess, are a little bit more um, to that original like emo sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always like try to go back to the, the the later ones, but they never capture me. So I want to try to go back again and listen to them. Um, and but I do know though that there's always like some hits on those on those two albums specifically. Yeah, like there's always like like a few tracks that stand out to me. But as a album like consistently uh it doesn't like capture my full attention for the, the whole album mm-hmm. uh, but yeah there's like really great songwriting i know for sure uh, on those albums yeah what's your favorite 90s emo album <laughs> uh probably if you were to ask me this years ago i probably had said like uh american football is like self-titled um mm-hmm. but now i i can uh confidently say do you know who you are by texas the reason uh because right. that is just like one of my favorite albums of all time now. I haven't listened to it over and over. Um, like there's so much that was done in that album as far as like the the riffs that they're like creating and like the melodies and everything. Um, yeah. And I think that the, like the title fights that we were talking about are like Balancing Composure, um, Basement, you know, bands like that. Um, I really do think that they're pulling a lot from Texas is the reason that I don't think they get enough credit, um, you know, as like the other popular emo bands. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I think that record, it sounds so ahead of its time. And I think that's because it has been so influential on so many different generations. Right. I first heard that album when the early 2000s bands were talking about it. And it was like, oh, yeah, you guys all sound like that band. Um, and then like you said, yeah, like title fights and balancing opposure type bands, like also pulling from, and that's a fantastic problem. Yeah. It never gets old. But I mean, it's like, I feel like you listen to me and you're like, these songs should have been hits. Like they're so, yeah. and like, but so smart too. And great record. Yeah. Yeah. The, I believe the second LP was supposed to be on a major and then they broke yeah. up. That's, uh, yeah, that's yeah. the perfect story of like, yeah, <laughs> they, they, I, they so easily could have. Like they could have been Jimmy World, you know, like that could have like exactly. it, it, had, it was going to be somebody and it definitely yeah. could have been them if things went differently. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious what that would have been. Um, I I know uh, when they reunited like uh, in 2009 or 2011, one of those reunions, they did write some stuff and like recorded and the material is currently shelved from what I last read. Um I believe they're trying to do something. So hopefully, but I'm very curious to see what would be a new Texas is the reason um, songs. 
um, similar to what you mentioned with the starting line earlier, uh, like mm-hmm. if they were to write a new album now, uh, cause they did the seven inch, you know, a, a few years back yeah. and those songs were really good. They were good. Um, That's part of why I'm like, wait, no, you yeah. guys can do it. Like you just yeah. gotta try. Like, <laughs> you, like, cause, and yeah, I, we don't have to talk about starting line. But yeah. <laughs> yeah ho- hopefully we'll hear that eventually though from Texas. Yeah. Um, also being from Texas, I feel like they, like naturally, like I really like the band name <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and the like the aesthetic that they have. Like I've been collecting their their t shirts since uh, the pandemic happened because uh, they have some really great designs. Um, and yeah, I just love adore that band. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, what are your current favorite hardcore bands? Um, I would say Buggin', Soul Glow, One Step Closer. Um, anxious if they count as hardcore i feel like they could either be hardcore or emo yeah um and uh gulch and regional justice center yeah great answers uh y'all had uh anxious and one step closer specifically on the the brooklyn vegan uh show so i'm sure it was great to see them live uh but their new material sounds really good and i'm super excited for their new albums coming out i think those bands are going to like I don't want to say like, I mean, I think two things. I think they're going to carry the torch for title fight, which I think is a void that we're really needing to fill right now. I think people yeah. really need title fight. Um, but I think that they might like also elevate the genre, the way bands like title fight and balance of composure did. I think they have that the perfect mix of like accessibility and true to their hardcore roots that they won't turn off hardcore community and they will bring in I mean, like, even like, you know, like Turnstile and Higher Power have been like, right. kind of, but I think they are kind of going to do that. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I definitely see that uh, in them. Um, and I know like Title Fight, like gets talked about a lot and like, they're kind of like memed uh, sometimes or like people, you know, saying I miss Title Fight and everything. Um, but I think it is really because they're such a groundbreaking band and an important band to many, uh, because they introduced, you know, brought hardcore into, into youth, whether you knew it or not. Um, Ned was always wearing like a hardcore shirt, you know, yeah. uh, on a stage, like, uh, you know, seeing them at a young age, like I picked up on like cues like that. Um, he had like a, an X watch, uh, and I was like, Oh, I'm straight edge too. Like, what, what is that watch? Like, what does it mean? You know, I would go and like dive into the history um, on that and like listen to the bands he was a part of and like yeah there's just such an important band and i do think that one step closer um and anxious like have that and um, i mean obviously they're inspired by like title fight but like they um are doing something that's um i'm excited for and uh you know them being on run for cover uh, one step closer on run for cover that just got announced it's gonna be like amazing for them so i'm very yeah. excited for them yeah and like, and they're doing the same thing that you were saying about Ned. Like, when Angels played our show, they were wearing like bold and Shane of Strange shirts. Right. And then when we talked to them, I was like, I asked them like, "What are your influences on the record?" And they were yeah. like, "They were like Untitled Blink," which blew uh, yeah, my yeah. mind. Yeah, I remember and I was that. Like, I, I, I was just like, this is <laughs> "I've been like waiting for this," you know, like final the full circle. But um, yeah. but um, but yeah, I mean, but you know, but they're wearing like these shirt to these legendary hardcore bands who broke up when those guys were like not born until 10 12 years later like um right. 
So it's, it's awesome that they're keeping that lineage alive, but also bringing, again, like, they're like, oh, we pull from like youth crew bands and we pull from Blink-182 and that's why we sound innovative because like those things have not been combined before. Yeah. So. I like anxious when you are talking about uh, the Beach Boys influences yeah. on that. It's so interesting uh, as well. Like going back to like the roots of like, you know, rock music even um, or like the Beatles, for example. But anytime you like you hear bands mention that that are doing something so much different uh, than that fundamental rock music, uh, it's always like interesting to hear them talk about and how they're incorporating um, those elements into their music. Totally. Um, uh, so yeah, last couple that are uh, some of my favorites are what is your favorite drive-through records band? Movie Life. Movie Life. Great answer. <laughs> they would, I think they would probably be, I for sure in my like top three. I would say it would be for me, the early November. I have to say early November because obviously like Sunday Drive, you know, records is named that their early November song slash the starting line's first band name, um, which are like my two favorite drive-through bands, and then third will probably be the movie life. Um, right. so yeah, they uh also drive-through. I wanted to say as well that it's a pretty important label, um, uh, I think that you know brought up all, all of these these bands, and I know they're very popular in you know that generation uh, of people who were like going to those shows. Um, but I hope like uh, younger people continue to discover those artists as well. Yeah, I mean, those were huge for me. Starting Line, yeah. I remember, are also up there for me. Um, I, Newfound Glory was even a drive-through band. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, and I would also just add, while, since we're talking about drive-through, um, a band I loved a lot at the time was, did, did you know the band Socratic? Uh, I know of them, but I don't like know the songs. They were a, like a mid-2000s drive-through band. So it was like kind of like peak drive-through was kind of coming down. Yeah. And uh-huh. they were really more of like an indie rock band. They were like pulling from the Beatles a lot. Um, and they, as like someone who was in the emo world and who was trying to get into like indie rock too, they were a really big transition band for me. And I never hear anyone talk about them. And I just think they were a really yeah. drive-through band. So yeah, similar. <laughs> yeah yeah for for real like even a uh, still train which oh, yeah. you know the singer went to go on to to fun and then now is producing like some of the biggest pop songs now right um, yeah i mean <laughs> it's it's crazy to see like that stuff happen also the yeah the guy the guy producing and co-writing the olivia rodrigo album is the singer of as tall as lions oh um, wow i did not know that <laughs> yeah and that's, that's like, interesting. yeah, he's like a pop songwriter now, like for, you know, I think he wrote for like Charlie XCX, maybe also for Carly Rae Jepsen, but he did the entire wow. record with her. So I think wow. it's awesome. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, last couple to close. Uh, what is your favorite Watcher Shrifles album? Gorilla Biscuit self-titled. I would have to agree. I think I almost said quicksand um, slip. Uh, but Gorilla Biscuits start today is such an important piece of hardcore. Um, and the aesthetic that they brought with it is like so cool. And like, uh, yeah, it's, it's an amazing album. <laughs> can I like, can I quickly nerd out about Gorilla Biscuits? Yeah, <laughs> please. Um, as far you were asked earlier about like sort of records and certain or 
bands or whatever in certain genres that like just were big for you. And like if I mentioned like Nervous Breakdown by Black Flag, seeing Gorilla Biscuits for the first time, which was that Fun 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 Fest 2014, mm-hmm. um, totally life changing. Like I went, it was I went to see them at the festival, so it's a big stage, and they absolutely were like one of the greatest hardcore bands I'd ever seen. Right. Um, which is wild because like you, a lot of people think like the best hardcore bands like have must be 17 years old. And it's like, here are these guys who are like <laughs> three times the age of that. Yeah. Just putting on the best hardcore show ever. Um, of course, all with songs written when they were 17 years old. But yeah. um, so they were doing an after show that night at uh, the indoor stage at Mohawk in Austin. Um yeah, and it was like if you had a festival pass, you could get in, but the capacity is like two hundred, so it's like you know that is wild. Yeah, I, I've been to that venue, and I know the indoor is like yeah. very intimate. No, so <laughs> it was like I think the headliner that day was like, or if it wasn't the headliner, it was at least the last band I was seeing because they don't they're not a headliner actually. But anyway, I was seeing Murder City Devils. They're great, and I cut out a little early, and I ran over to Mohawk to make sure I got in. Uh, it turned out I was like one of the first people there, so that was okay. Got right in. And Gorilla Biscuits take the stage like an hour or two later or whatever. And Civ is like, I don't think we've played a venue this small in 25 years. And I mean, like you couldn't stand still. Like the whole room was just like a sea of moving bodies. Yeah. And and I was just like, this is by far the greatest, like if not the greatest hardcore show, like maybe just one of the greatest shows in general that I just like Uh, ever just been. And I was like, this is, this is the band. (laughs) Like, you know, I'm like, I'm not looking like, because obviously like, you know, I've, wish I could have seen them earlier in 2014, but you know, they, the cards didn't line up like that. I wasn't around. Yeah. Around. Um, Mm -hmm. I was a little too young when they did that original reunion at CBGB. Um, but yeah, finally saw them 2014 life-changing moment, best band ever. So. Yeah. That's a great story. I was probably too young to go travel to Austin because I was in San Antonio and I wasn't uh, able to go to Austin all the time. Um, so I really wish I was there now, <laughs> uh, cause I didn't realize that they played fun, fun, fun fest that year. Uh, yeah. and specifically that indoor space, like I, I know that would have been amazing to see. <laughs> they also real quick, the next day, Judas Priest played fun, fun, fun fest, oh, wow. <laughs> um, which was also amazing. And I always, I, they're like, if I look at like, as a music fan, like these, like the turning points of my life as a fan. Seeing Gorilla Biscuits and Judas Priest in the same weekend was a very big turning point. Yeah, growing up, I was crazy. way more into punk than metal. Um, mm-hmm. Seeing a Judas Priest show kind of like really put me on a path towards like going way more down the metal rabbit hole, which I feel like I continue to go down frequently. So that was yeah, a real life changing festival. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but yeah, the, the last thing I have here is like, uh, I always like to end on, uh, what are you listening to? Um, do you have any rec- music recommendations? And do you, is there anything particularly that you're excited about? Well, my favorite album of the year is the For Your Health album. Um, right. And um, again, One Step Closer and Anxious. I, I'm, I'm really into the whole new ska generation. I don't know if you've oh, seen yeah, I've been, yeah, I've been seeing that pop yeah. up. Um, Bad Time Records, anything that comes out in that label is amazing. That's like the ska label right now. Yeah. Um, let's think. Uh, I love the new Portrayal of Guilt album. Um, I like the Home Is Where album. Um, 
I'm into like, I'm definitely into like a lot of these kind of like screamy bands like Kaunashi and Wrist Meat Razor and CU Space Cowboy, like the kind of like theatrical over the top chaotic screamy bands. Um, yeah. That stuff's been awesome. Uh, yeah. I think uh, Teenage Halloween, I'll end there. That's another good one. Yeah, I need to, um, you mentioned your favorite album so far as a For Your Health one. Uh, mm-hmm. That's something I've also been seeing pop up, uh, you know, very often. So I would definitely check that out. It sounds, it seems it's, like it's really good it, album. <laughs> it's so good. It's like, um, oh, actually real quick, one other thing, the Me Rex album is up there for me this year. Okay, um, I'll check band? that out too. No, um, I don't. They're from the UK and they, it's like totally weird. Their album is like 52 songs, which all range from 30 to 60 seconds. And it's oh, okay. <laughs> meant to be shuffled. And yeah. no matter what order you listen to it in, it's supposed to like sound like one cohesive piece. And it works. It's, it's wow. like they have a website up. It's like it's called megabear.co.uk. The album's called Megabear. Um yeah. and it's just like the album on shuffle. And it and it's hitting streaming services this Friday, but for now it's I don't know when this goes live, but June 18th to hit streaming services. Right yeah. now it's on the website. Um but for your health, amazing album. Um I feel like they they really do like they take like like the the kind of like over the top experimental post hardcore of like fear before the march of flames and then like the total chaos of like daughters and the locust and they just kind of like uh-huh. totally merge it but then hayden the singer also loves michael romance and fall out boy um and so yeah. they're like this totally screamy intense heavy band but like a kind of like to relate to a lot of stuff we've said earlier like they're not afraid to touch on those like really catchy emo pop touchstones um and i think that makes them so exciting because they'll do this like totally catchy clean vocal chorus like sounds like it could have been on victory records in like oh three and then right into like a grindcore part um and just like they're they're just like connecting dots that haven't really been connected before like everything they every individual ingredient is familiar i think if you've listened to the last 20 years of emo and post-hardcore and punk and etc but I think they connect it in ways that I honestly have never heard before. I think they're a really, wow. really innovative band. And I think that they deserve the world. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to check it out. Um, that sounds, sounds really interesting. Um, and I, what you said about, you know, combining different influences is always intriguing to me um, and being able to push the genre a little bit more. Um, so I'm very excited to hear that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, this has been Sunday Conversations episode three. Um, Andrew, thanks for taking the time to come on. And really had fun uh, speaking with you. I had fun too. Thank you. <laughs>